So when you hear this parable, whom do you identify with the most, the younger son or the older son? Because make no mistake, the younger son was really bad. He caused great harm to his father and to his older brother. But at least when the younger son came to himself in verse 17, that is when he came to his senses, he appreciated just how much harm he had done. That's why he plans on telling his father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. And notice the older son agrees with his brother completely on this point. His younger brother no longer deserves any good thing from his father. He deserves only punishment. And that's why the older son, that's why the older son gets so angry at his father. It's not fair the way you're treating him. You're giving him the opposite of what he deserves. In fact, you're giving him what I deserve. Well, is he right? See, I worry that far too many of us, even many of us good church-going people, agree with the older son. We agree that he, unlike his brother, deserves his father's love and deserves all the good things that the father is giving to his younger brother. The older son, after all, is a good person. The younger son is a bad person. If you're around my age, you'll recall that back in high school, the biggest rock band by far was Van Halen. And the lead singer of Van Halen was Sammy Hagar after David Lee Roth left the band. Anyway, Hagar was once asked in an interview what he thought about Jesus Christ. And he said he believed that we Christians have misunderstood who Jesus was and what his message was. Hagar said, I think Christians place too much emphasis on the man himself. And if Jesus were here walking around today, he would go, hey man, don't be looking at me. I can't save you. Only you can save yourself. And Christ made it pretty easy on us. Those rules are simple, the Ten Commandments. Anybody in their right mind could live by those rules. I think that's what Christ was really trying to do. Excuse me? Anybody in their right mind could live by the Ten Commandments? Well, let's give Sammy Hagar some credit. He's not wrong that the Ten Commandments are the standard of righteousness against which God will judge each of us. My question is, do any of us measure up to that standard? Do you? Recently, I've been watching videos of an evangelist on the West Coast named Ray Comfort. He spends a lot of time doing street evangelism, and he films himself doing it as a way of encouraging ordinary Christians to do the same thing. And most people he talks to are a lot like Sammy Hagar, or they're a lot like the older son in the parable, because they think they're good people. And because they think they're good people, 
they're pretty confident, not 100% sure, but they're fairly confident that, that they're going to go to heaven based on the fact that they're good people. So comfort gets them to see that based on God's standard, based on the Ten Commandments, they are in trouble. Now, Comfort is from New Zealand, and I wish I could imitate his accent. But in a typical interview, he asks the person, do you think that you're a good person? Inevitably, they say yes. Have you ever told a lie? They laugh and say, well, of course, I've told many lies, too many to count. What do you call a person who lies? A liar. Right. (laughs) Have you ever stolen anything, even something of small value? Yes. What do you call someone who steals? That's right, a thief. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Yes, I do it all the time, they usually say. That's called blasphemy. And then he asks about lust and how Jesus said it was adultery in the heart. And then he asks whether they've looked at pornography or whether they've had sex before marriage. And the people he interviews will usually say, Yes. Then Comfort says, now I'm not judging you, but by your own admission, you've just told me that you're a lying, thieving, blaspheming, fornicating, adulterer in the heart. So when you stand before God in judgment, will you be guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Will you go to heaven or hell? And I'm surprised that people are usually honest enough to say, that they'll go to hell. Then he asks, does that concern you? And the people say, yes. And that gives him an opportunity to talk about Jesus and the gospel. If the older son in the parable were honest with himself, he would see that he too would fail this test of righteousness. I mean, sure, outwardly, he obeyed his father, but look at his grumbling, complaining, ungrateful, unloving heart. You never even gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. His father might have responded, yes, but you had something much better than any material thing. You had me. You had my love. Am I not enough for you? And clearly the answer was no. The older son loved the good things that his father could give him far more than he loved his father. And isn't that often the case with us? That we love the good things that God can give us more than we love God. And as soon as we get the good stuff, money, possessions, romantic relationships, whatever, how easy it is for us to forget all about God. That is breaking at least the first two commandments and also the 10th commandment. So whether we're conspicuous, obvious sinners like the younger son, or whether we're covetous, idolatrous, angry sinners who harbor sin in our hearts, I hope you can see that none of us is good or righteous based on God's only standard for righteousness, the Ten Commandments. The Bible says, none is righteous, no, not one. That includes you and me. It says, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? The answer, none of us. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And that isn't just 
death at the end of our lifetimes, but it's spiritual death. That is eternal separation from God in hell. And if that's true, and it is because God's word is true, we have a serious problem. As a matter of simple justice, we deserve hell. And God is committed to perfect justice. It's a part of who God is. It flows naturally from his love. It's a consequence of love. How does God fulfill his demand for justice while at the same time rescuing us from the well-deserved consequences of our sins? He sends his son, Jesus, who is God, the second person of the Trinity. God comes to us in the flesh to live the life of perfect holiness and obedience to the Father that we were unable to live. And on the cross to die the God-forsaken death and even suffer the hell that we deserve to die and suffer. And through Christ's death on the cross, a great exchange can now take place. When we believe in Christ, it's as if God places all of our sins, past, present, and future, onto his son Jesus who pays the penalty for them. And then in return, God gives us Christ's righteousness as a free gift. The Bible puts it like this. For our sake, he made him, that is God the Father, made God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, as we place our faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And the parable of the prodigal son illustrates what happens when this exchange takes place. The father does not hold the younger son's sins against him. He doesn't even let the younger son finish giving his well-rehearsed speech about being treated like one of his father's hired hands. Instead, the father runs to meet him and embrace him. He gives him his best clothes, his signet ring, which was a symbol of the, that the younger son was a full-fledged member of the family again. The father kills the fattened calf and throws the biggest party imaginable because the father is overjoyed that his son has returned home. If we haven't received God's gift of eternal life through faith in Christ, we are like that prodigal son, separated from our father, dying in a faraway place, no hope of salvation. But if we repent, that is, we turn around to our father, confess our sins, and believe in what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, our heavenly father will not only forgive us, he'll treat us as one of his beloved sons or daughters. He'll say of us, my child was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. But here's what has to happen first. Before the younger son decided to come home to his father, something happened first. He had to come to himself, come to his senses. He had to realize the mortal danger that he was facing he had to realize that he was in danger of dying outside of a relationship with his father. God often uses fear to get our attention. That's a good thing. Fear is a good thing in that context. A couple of days ago marked the 19th anniversary of 9-11. For those of us who are old enough, that crisis 
got our attention, to say the least. It made us feel unsafe. It made us feel vulnerable. It reminded us of the grave danger that we were in as a nation because of the threat of terrorism. Most of us hadn't considered that danger before. Most of us felt safe and secure before 9-11, but it was a false sense of security. The events of September 11th shook us out of our false sense of security so that we could get ready and we could be prepared or better prepared. The truth is, many of us right now feel a false sense of security because we think spiritually speaking, we're okay. Because we don't know, we haven't heard that apart from a relationship with God through Christ, we face an infinitely greater danger than being killed in a terrorist attack. Indeed, Jesus himself said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Fear him, that is God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus means that even dying in a terrorist attack is nothing in comparison to a sinner being judged by God according to God's perfect standard of righteousness. It's nothing compared to facing eternity separated from God. But you have an opportunity right now. God is giving you an opportunity right now to prevent that from happening. I pray that you will. Thanks for listening. If you're in the Toccoa, Georgia area, I hope that you will come and worship with us at Toccoa First. We have live in-person worship every week and we also have online worship. Please see tocoafirstumc.org for more information.